Welcome to Mental Healthy, where we share the stories and expertise of professionals working diligently in the field of mental health. I'm your host today, Dr. Kenyon Knapp. I've got a great guest for us today, Professor Elka Cox from Liberty University. She has some really great experience in the field, and let's just dive right in. So, Professor Cox, welcome to the program today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you here, too. Why don't you give the listeners a little bit of background on yourself, because we're going to be talking about social justice, a neat topic, but you've got a lot of experience with this, I believe, from being in your field. So give us a feel for your background. Well, I majored in psychology for my undergraduate and um, decided that I was really drawn to social work. Mm -hmm. So I got my master's in social work from the University of North Carolina at Uh Chapel Hill and became a licensed clinical social worker a few years later. Mm -hmm. Most of my work has been with youth, children, and adolescents. Mm -hmm. And I worked in a public high school. I worked in a private children's home, did some private practice, uh, therapy and counseling, mostly with teenagers, and then ended up at Liberty University teaching. How many years has it been now you've been a professor? About 15 years. Oh, wow. That's great. I started out long before the social work program, working uh, in the psychology department and with Uh the master's of counseling program as a clinical consultant, Uh and uh, then started being an adjunct. And when my son was old enough for me to come on full time, I was ready to take the leap. So you're young, but you've also got a lot of experience in the field. (laughs) Yes, I've been doing social work for, it's going to be 30 years in a couple couple years. Yeah. That's great. So it's good for the listeners to know that you're speaking from experience, not not theoretical. That's true. That's true. Well, um, we decided today we were going to talk about social justice a little bit. And I know for a lot of people that, gosh, we hear it in society a lot today, All these different organizations have social justice in their names and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And you mentioned to me you wanted to speak about biblical social justice today. Yes. So why don't you just go ahead and dive in and tell me, like, what is this whole topic of social justice and what is biblical social justice? It's interesting. I teach social welfare policy. I feel like one of the foundations of that course is teaching about social justice because Mm -hmm. we're interested in advocacy and empowerment. And one of our social work values from the National Association of Social Workers is social justice. Mm -hmm. So we really do want to teach what that encompasses. And and you're right. It's a catch-all term, as World Vision would say. And it has a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people. Probably depends on who you ask. As far as the definition that National Association of Social Workers, social justice is the idea in which every individual in society has equal access to rights, opportunities, social benefits, and protections. Uh So it's a lot about fairness. It's a lot about equal treatment. Uh So I think about that when I think about the term overall. But biblical social justice, I had had never really heard about this term. I didn't really know anything about it. But I knew that the Bible talked about justice. And I didn't really think about there being a framework for that until I read Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice. Mm -hmm. And that's a great book that I highly recommend. And he calls it biblical social justice. I really like his framework. And I feel like as Christians, getting back to the Bible at mm-hmm. defining these kind of terms is really important, especially for developing our Christian paradigm mm-hmm. for social justice. 
the Bible is always the right way to go. The Bible Project is another resource that I tell people, go watch the video clip on justice. Uh It's a great informative little like five minute clip that defines social justice. And I've used some material from that. And these two guys do all sorts of podcasts, video clips. You can search them on YouTube. They um, do little five minute introductions to every book of the Bible. And then Uh they've also taken some topics, some topical themes and given like a visual, like they draw and talk at the same time Uh and really give a picture of different themes throughout scripture. And like I said, about every single book of the Bible, it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, you know, that reminds me too, when I was sort of preparing for our talk today, I did a little bit of research about the topic. And what I found is that the term social justice was coined by a Jesuit priest, Luigi Topparelli Diazeglio, in 1840, he coined the term social justice. It stayed largely within Catholic circles Mm -hmm. for a long time. And then in the 1970s, there was a fellow named John Rawls who wrote a book called A Theory of Justice. Yes. And that book popularized it for the larger population besides the Catholic population. And then, of course, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you sort of alluded to there's a lot of groups in society today that have tried to hijack the term. And whatever cause they're for becomes Mm -hmm. a social justice topic to them. (laughs) But you were hitting on, though, the topic of biblical social justice a minute ago. What's the biblical angle on this thing versus maybe a secular view of social justice? Great question. Okay, so let me just define what the terms in the Bible mean. There are two terms in the Bible that are often used together, and you will see the words, especially when we talk about some scripture in a minute, Uh of justice and righteousness. They're often paired together. You might hear about grace and mercy. Mm -hmm. Um, Justice and righteousness are often seen together. And there are two Hebrew words. One is mishpat, It's got a broad meaning. It does have a sense of retributive justice, which is Mm -hmm. like you Mm -hmm. do the crime, you pay the time. Yeah. It does have an element of punishing wrongs, but it's mostly about restorative justice, Mm -hmm. which is righting wrongs, being generous, Mm -hmm. having social concern, Mm -hmm. especially towards the poor and vulnerable. And I never knew this. The other term is zadika, which means righteous living. We don't hear a lot about righteous living in our society today. That's true. (laughs) But these two terms terms together combined mean social justice. Uh-huh. And zadika, the righteous living term, also means right relationship between people, mm-hmm. treating one another rightly. And I think it's fascinating to see how these two terms come together in scripture. So they're close in meaning, they overlap, but they are slightly different and encompass uh, different elements. So that's the term that when we talk about where is this in scripture? Yeah. Those are the two Hebrew words that are seen over and over again. So mishpat is more of the legal side of this yes. per se. Yes. The, the justice part of it and all that and things being equitable and mm-hmm. fair and all that. But then the tzadika word is more of the qualitative mm-hmm. relational side yes. of it. Yes. Where you don't just do justice, you do it with an attitude of caring for another person. Yes. And the Bible project would say it's doing righteousness and doing justice. Yes. Doing both. It's an action word. And Mishpat, again, does have that social concern element, that taking care of the poor and the vulnerable. That makes sense because, you know, I hear some people in society today, all they talk about is rights and rights and Mm -hmm. I deserve this and so forth. But 
that second word there, Zotica, I mean, that's not so much about the legal side of things. It's more of the attitude of, of me treating you kindly. Absolutely. Um, instead of just what you're legally entitled to or something like that. Yes. Yes. So, okay. so kindness for sure. So these words, like I said, are paired together in scripture, but the underlying theme of all of this, when we see the whole story throughout scripture is God's concern for our hearts. Mm -hmm. And he wants our outward actions to match our inward motives. Mm -hmm. And he really wants true repentance, true worship, true humility. So once we have our hearts turned toward him, we can begin administering the kind of social justice, that biblical social justice that he's commanding us to be about. We see it over and over again in scripture. So many verses, God talking about caring for the oppressed, the fatherless, the widow, the stranger, the foreigner, over 50 verses. And I had never studied this or seen this until I read generous justice. Just in some of my research, uh, I've seen so many more verses come out that I didn't even realize were there. And it starts in Genesis. So Genesis 18, 19 says, for I have chosen him, and he's talking about Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And that's that doing righteousness, doing justice. Well, that was a great scripture there. That gives a rationale for what you're, you're saying for this. Are there some other verses uh, that fit what you're talking about? Yes. And I think the biggest place that we see the righteousness and justice theme is in the prophets. So we have... I, I've highlighted a few. Probably the most well-known is Micah 6, 8. Mm -hmm. so I was about to quote that doing one. Doing <laughs> justice, doing righteousness, but a few others. Um, Zechariah 7, uh, 8 and 9 says, The word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Another one of my favorites is Isaiah 117. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Uh -huh. um, that's Isaiah 117. Amos, we're studying Amos in Sunday school right now, and uh -huh. Amos is full of justice and righteousness themes. And one of the verses that uh, is in here is hate evil and love good, establish justice in the gate. And it goes on later, God is giving some judgments and exacting some judgments upon Israel and warning them because they're not administering justice. And he says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. That's mm -hmm. what God wants to see. And then we even see it in the Psalms and the Proverbs. Psalm 82, 2 says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Now, that verse is intriguing to me because the beginning, he says, how long will you allow injustice in the world. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's David talking to God. Yeah. So I guess David knows that God loves justice. That's why he's yes. praying in a way that the other yes. verses fit. 
But David is almost like acknowledging that sometimes in our society and mm-hmm. other societies around the world for that matter, God does sometimes allow bad stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or however Absolutely. we want to say it. But that's not God's heart. Right, right. And, and he wants us, like the other verses you read, to create justice and mm-hmm. promote justice, defend the, the fatherless and the mm-hmm. widows and all that. So it's like he's acknowledging the problem in the verse at the same time he's saying, do this and Absolutely. try to achieve this. Yeah. Yes. Deuteronomy 15 talks about if you obey the Lord and his commands, things will go right with you. Uh-huh. But there will, you know, and he talks, there will be no poor among you if you're living rightly. Yeah. But right after he says that, he says, but there will be the poor among you. Yeah. Because basically we're not going to be obeying all of his commands. And when we look at the Ten Commandments, we know that we all fall short, especially in the fact that we don't always treat others the way that he's asked us to treat them, loving our neighbor as ourselves, for example. So yeah, he definitely acknowledges that that this is is a problem that's that's universal and worldwide. You know, Mm -hmm. there's there are none of us who are righteous, not even one. Yeah. Another one of my favorites is from Proverbs 31. Open your mouth for the mute, Mm -hmm. for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Mm -hmm. And that one is a powerful one to me because that's what we do as social workers. We advocate. We're a voice for the Mm -hmm. voiceless a lot of times. And so that one is really significant. There's another one, Jeremiah 22. And this is another one of those woes where God is talking to the people. He said, did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it went well with him. Uh Interesting, huh? Yeah. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it went well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord, but you have eyes and hearts only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, for practicing oppression and violence. So again, God is exacting, you know, judgment for people not taking care of one another, not loving their neighbor as themselves. The other thing I wanted to highlight is it's not just in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, of course, lived his life. And I, I would refer you to any of the gospels to see how he had concern for mm-hmm. his neighbor and how he loved people and, and healed and commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves, love our enemies and that sort of thing. But the book of James, we studied James last year, and it's full of social justice themes, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Probably the most prominent is the end of chapter one. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And then it goes into chapter 2 saying, show no partiality. And it talks about how the believers of the New Testament church have made distinctions And he says, God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, but you have dishonored the poor man. Goes on to talk about loving your neighbor as yourself, but the fact that the people are not doing that Mm -hmm. and they're showing favoritism. Great book, again, with lots of lessons about how to love our neighbor and, and the ways that we fall short. Well, it seems to me that you've definitely established a biblical basis for 
doing justice and loving your neighbor and caring for the fatherless and the widows and orphans and all that. And really, the basics of social justice are certainly biblical. I think what a lot of listeners struggle with sometimes is, you know, anytime there's something true in scripture, the devil tries to create a counterfeit cheesy version of it. (laughs) Sure. You know, and what I think of is like, you know, all around the world, there's injustice and problems and poverty and suffering. Absolutely. And so people in different parts of the world try to create versions of a solution, a utopia of some sort. Mm -hmm. Like I think of Karl Marx, for example, in, in Russia and then other communist countries around the world where they promise that, hey, if we have Marxism or socialism or communism, you know, we're going to have this utopia. Everything's going to be fair and everyone will have such and such and then it'll be fair. But when I look at those countries around the world, they're pathetic. Yeah, (laughs) it has never worked. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. And then the hard part about for a lot of listeners is they hear communists talk about social justice or at least their version of it. Right. And then they sometimes associate social justice only with Karl Marx. And then when they hear a biblical version of it, mm-hmm. like you're talking about today and all the scripture you just read, right? they don't know how to receive it. And they sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. You yes. know, they just dismiss the whole idea, even though I don't know how many you read 15 verses mm-hmm. or so yeah. about all these different aspects of biblical social justice. Mm-hmm. What thoughts do you have about the difference between a secular version, per se, of quote-unquote social justice versus the biblical version? Like, what are some of the differences, I guess? Okay. I think you make great points. And I think we want to make sure that if you're coming from a biblical worldview and want to live as a Christ follower, you have to remember that the gospel is always primary. So our concern is is always for people to have relationship with Christ and to have eternal life and to have abundant life while we're here with him, even amidst suffering. So I think keeping the gospel in the forefront is always the most important. And I think about, and Tim Keller uses this example as well, about the Good Samaritan and Jesus's parable about the Good Samaritan and how people cannot receive the gospel until they have experienced the care that they need. So people need relationship with people in order to be able to hear the gospel, but they also need their primary needs met first. Mm -hmm. So those basic needs of food, shelter, water... With the Good Samaritan, you know, the robbers had beat up this man, left him for dead. This man was in no shape to have a relationship with anybody. He needed yeah. his wounds dressed. He needed shelter and safety. He needed to heal. And the Good Samaritan took care of those needs. And he stepped across cultural boundaries in order to do that because it was not technically socially acceptable for him to do that. Yeah. So it's... It's that. It's making sure you're taking care of people's basic needs first. And through that relationship and meeting of those needs, then you earn the right to share the gospel with someone. Mm -hmm. So I think keeping that as primary is important for biblical social justice. And that's obviously not going to be an element of social justice that may be defined, you know, have its roots in, in Rawls and Marxism and such. Secularly, there is sort of a utopian ideal that we see. Mm -hmm. And I think as Christians, we realize that's never going to happen. Like that's not going to be achieved in this world. But there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth where that will be achieved, you know. 
an eternity of perfect social justice someday. So that's kind of where the paths differ. Yeah. And I think for the Christian, when we look at Scripture, we know we are all image bearers. We know we're all made equally, that we all have dignity and worth. And I think that's foundational, too. I think the secular focus is more fair treatment and equity and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Whereas we are making sure we're taking care of the poor and needy. We're being a voice for the voiceless. We're standing up when we see that things are unjust. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And it makes me think that, you know, there are some people, some Christians, for example, who just go into difficult places around the world and all they focus on is the gospel Mm -hmm. and they don't take care of the basic needs. Yes. And, And that's sort of like a continuum Mm -hmm. where they're ignoring the physical needs and all they focus on is the gospel. And then there's some people on the other extreme who all they do is go in and bring food and water and they don't share the gospel. And of course, I guess what you're saying is we really need to be in the middle, like speaking the truth in love, as Jesus would say. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, you bring the truth of the gospel and you bring the love of providing for their physical needs. And that's the ideal. It reminds me of what Larry Crabb said one time when he talked about providing therapy for people. Mm -hmm. He said, what good are we ultimately doing if we just make people feel better on their way to hell? Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. Wow. I mean, that's true. It's, I mean, and it's not that we confuse therapy with evangelism. (laughs) They're two different things, but obviously people have physical needs and they have spiritual needs. And I guess we're bringing together the best of both worlds here with Christian biblical social justice where you've got care for the soul as well as care for the body. Yes. That's what you're presenting today, which is really cool because we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. We're we're talking about what's the real biblical angle on this, not the secular version. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. You know, it reminds me too that in the early 1900s, some people just tried to create a perfect society in America and they left out the gospel. And so, you know, some Christians focus on social justice, really leaving out the gospel. So you're trying to create a utopia, but there's not salvation with that. Of course, for Christians like you, you have both the focus on social justice and caring for the needs, but it's also motivated by the heart. One of the things that jumped out at me was in Galatians chapter five, it talks about the fruits of the spirit, Mm -hmm. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What that reminded me of is when you talked about the two different words in Hebrew that create social justice, the Mishpat and Zadika. Zadika. I couldn't pronounce the second Mm -hmm. one, but the Zadika about being righteous and the motivation for justice, the heart behind it. Well, that's the fruits of the spirit. Exactly. I mean, exactly. if you're pursuing kindness and all towards people in society, that's mm-hmm. the heart that motivates social justice. Absolutely. And it's like a perfect fit of mm-hmm. the, the two ideas. So I'm getting a little philosophical here. <laughs> that's so okay. So l- let me move on here just a little bit. We've obviously sort of established a biblical basis for this and talked about some of the pros and cons and ways some people can throw the baby out with the bathwater. But can you talk a little bit about the way this plays out in society in our world today of of how do you do biblical social justice? And obviously, this is your field in mm-hmm. social work. What, what does it look like? Well, I think bottom line is it means we have to be different and we have to be active. But I think it starts with self-reflection and doing some self-examination. And the first thing I would say that we need to ask ourselves is, do we desire what God desires? Hmm. 
Yeah. Do we care about what he cares about? Again, going back to the Bible, mm-hmm. asking ourselves what's in the Bible, not what's culturally appropriate, not what maybe we've been taught or our political philosophy or anything else, but going back to the Bible and asking ourselves, do we desire what God desires? And an even harder question, I think, is am I indifferent to injustice? Mm-hmm. Am I indifferent to justice? Do I have concern for the problems in my community? And are they my problems too? And I think if we can ask ourselves that and honestly answer those questions, that's going to be foundational for how that plays out in our lives and, and in our communities and ultimately in our world. So we need to be involved. Um, we need to be doing justice and righteousness mm-hmm. like we've talked about We need to prevent injustice. We Mm -hmm. need to take steps to make things better. Mm -hmm. And then we need to actively help those who are oppressed, those who are needy, those who need our care and concern. Well, let me step into the the messy area of all this. Okay. Martin Luther King, he wrote a letter from the Birmingham jail. Love that letter. Yeah. (laughs) We teach about that letter. We have our students read that letter. Yes. Well, I'll paraphrase part of it. He says something to the effect of, If justice for one creates injustice for another, then there's Mm -hmm. no justice at all. And so I think about today, these are some hot button topics, but like the way some African-American people in our culture have been mistreated by some police officers. Mm -hmm. But then the way the reaction of some in society is to defund the police and verbally smear, you know, Mm -hmm. police in general and so forth. And, um, Obviously, we all want justice for every demographic group in America, African-American males and Mm -hmm. others. But how do you promote social justice, per se, in a way that creates justice for one, but it doesn't diminish somebody else in the process? Like, that that seems to be a little bit of a a rub, per se. I understand. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've heard of Dr. David Anderson but he wrote a book called Gracism. Uh-huh. And it's a book that our students read uh, in our program as well. And he talks about being a gracist. Uh-huh. He's an African-American pastor in Maryland, and he really addresses that everyone deserves grace uh-huh. and that you know you don't treat one person to the detriment of someone else. You treat everyone fairly. Yeah. So I think... You have to step out of the cultural narrative sometimes. Uh You need to look into what does this really mean? Like, Uh what do some of these terms mean? What is being thrown at us, I think, a lot of times in the media? Mm -hmm. What is some of the political rhetoric that goes along with that? Mm -hmm. And again, go back to Scripture. Go back. What would Jesus do? You know, that old saying, what would Jesus do in this situation? Would he defund the police? Would he brutalize African-American males and shoot them in the back? Absolutely not. So I think we have to ask ourselves, what perspective does he want us to take? And how do we seek justice for people who have been treated unfairly? And obviously, when we're loving our neighbor... We're not going to be smearing anyone. So how do you support the police? Even here in our city, Uh I've heard our police chief say, we don't want bad police officers either. You know, we're not going to stand for that 
either. And they've taken a lot of steps. Recently, they had a forum and a focus group, and they publicized the changes they are making within their own department. And I applaud them for that. Mm -hmm. So I think we want to support the good. Yeah. And we want to address the evil. We want to get rid of those things that are unjust and address those too. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, we can bring it on home to ourselves here. Like we're both in higher education. Yes. And we know in all the mental health fields, and we've got psychologists, social workers, counselors, marriage and family therapists, and all different people listening. Mm-hmm. And in each of our fields, every now and then, there's somebody who like has an inappropriate relationship with a client or, you know, lies to clients about things or Mm -hmm. acts unethical in some way. And we try to prevent that as best we can in our training and gatekeeping and programs and all of that, but it still happens. Yes. And it's it's probably the human condition of people Mm -hmm. being sinful. It is. You know, that stuff is going to happen, but I guess we can try to do quality control and mm-hmm. teach ethics and so forth. Yeah, and address things when they do come up. Make sure, yeah. I think from our viewpoint, making sure people know and helping promote enforcing natural consequences when yeah. somebody does cross that line. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's part of justice too, righting yeah. wrongs. Absolutely, because I mean, I can bring up the hot button issues and talk about police or mm-hmm. government or politics or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's in our fields too. It is, it is. <laughs> and when that happens and a client is treated poorly or something, we have to try to create justice yes. for the client. And Yeah, and it might mean um, seeking justice for your client um, in your agency. I've often talked about how for our social work students, just being an advocate for your client to get them what services they may need, but also if they're being treated in, you know, unjustly, yeah. whether it's in society or within an agency or wherever. Yeah. But that's important, too. Yeah. And, you know, I'll go out on a limb here a little bit, but, you know, even creating justice for the perpetrator. I think yeah. about whoever it is, whether if it's a bad cop or mm-hmm. if it's a student of ours that does something unethical or something. Mm-hmm. Our programs here at the university and all universities around the country have remediation programs. Yes. And what's remediation about? Mm -hmm. Well, it's about trying to make it right with that student and Mm -hmm. trying to help them get back on track. Yeah. Yeah. If their actions were really bad, maybe they do deserve some type of punishment. And that's part of fairness. <laughs> well, you know, God disciplines those he loves. He does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and we do the same thing in higher ed with students who do something inappropriate. But at the same time, why do we do it? Mm-hmm. Well, it goes back to the motivation for social justice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you're trying to restore both the victim and the offender. Absolutely. And um, I'm only bringing this up because I think sometimes, you know, we only focus on the victim. Yes. And, and the perp is, yeah. well, they can just go to a bad place mm-hmm. <laughs> or something is what a lot of people think. Exactly. And um, and that's not really mm-hmm. complete justice. Right. And we need to have a, a heart for restoring everyone, including mm-hmm. the perp. Yes. So. And I think and God's story of grace is, is for that exactly. And that restorative justice is we, we do want to restore people to who God's created us to be. And we're all perpetrators of 
some kind of injustice yeah. and we all fall short yeah. of God's glory and we've all messed up in some way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's easy for us to compare and say, well, my sin's not as bad as, as your sin. But yes, yeah. everybody can receive God's grace. So I think that's important. Yeah. Of course, the human condition is to want justice for them and mercy for us. Right, right. <laughs> and we talked about this in class that we like revenge movies. Mm-hmm. We like revenge where the person gets their due. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a natural human condition mm-hmm. as well. It's, that's true. I know mm-hmm. there's, I'm going to date myself, but <laughs> Clint Eastwood and the Dirty sure. Harry movies or stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. People definitely like that a lot. Yes, yes. So. In the final minutes we have left here, let's talk a little bit about some of the implications for Christian mental health professionals. And I know you've touched on this a good bit, but I just think we've got people in all different fields listening right now. But this topic of social justice or biblical social justice, it really applies to all of them. So what are some thoughts you have about the implications for people? Great. I have lots of thoughts. Oh, good. <laughs> so I think bottom line, it means loving our neighbor. It also means making a commitment to live a sacrificial life. Mm-hmm. We've got a good friend who says, I want to finish on empty. And he lives his life. He wants to finish every day on empty. And I think that's so cool. Uh-huh. But I think whether you're a therapist, a social worker, a counselor, whatever you're doing within your community, not just within your field, but also on a volunteer level, just to consider how you can be involved. Mm-hmm. And I think also being intentional, considering the poor, considering the single mom, the widow, the elderly, the underserved, foster children, homeless, Mm -hmm. um, thinking about people of color who, like you mentioned before, Mm -hmm. have been treated unjustly. Some of the things that we can do within our field is offer pro bono counseling. Uh We can offer our services to people. We can volunteer and we can, you know, adjust our fee rates Mm -hmm. and have a sliding fee scale. We can also be an advocate Stepping in, whether you're you volunteer as a CASA worker mm-hmm. in the court system, but you have to work to get out of your bubble. Yeah. I can live in a bubble, and and we all can. We can all protect ourselves and insulate ourselves. We know people are messy, mm-hmm. and getting into people's mess is uncomfortable and yeah. not real fun. But I think we have so much to offer people. We have a skill set. We also have a voice because Mm -hmm. we do have a lot of advantage. And so I think using that voice for God's glory is really important. So whether that's educating, advocating, mediating, Mm -hmm. also being involved in the political process, Mm -hmm. being involved in that narrative, I think is really important. But I think the bottom line is asking yourself, what can I do to advance God's kingdom? I think he'll show us. I think he's faithful to do that and to guide and direct our hearts in the direction where he would have us serve. Yeah, and my experience is every time I pray about, hey, God, where can you use me to help or something? He he answers that <laughs> he kind of <does>. prayer. <laughs> yes, he does. He sort of throws it right in front of you that you can, you know, and it's so many different angles of it. I mean, there's so many different opportunities. I think about like everyone listening could be a big brother or a big sister. Absolutely. And that does have a long-term mm-hmm. impact. I've read mm-hmm. all kinds of studies about that. And there's so many other ways. Mm-hmm. You've mm-hmm. hit on a lot of them. So this is really good. In the last minute, I usually try to ask every guest, mm-hmm. is there anything I have not asked you yet 
that you know you wanted to get out today that I maybe I got busy saying something else. But any final thoughts for the listeners about biblical social justice? Well, I just thought I'd read our theme verse okay, yeah. <laughs> um, from Micah 6, 8. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You can't end on a better note than that. I, I agree. I agree. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thanks for giving the listeners a real perspective on what is biblical social justice, not just quote unquote social justice. That is a really good distinctive. And you certainly delivered with a, a lot of biblical responses to all of this. So thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Mental Healthy. Please be sure to subscribe for more episodes and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. You can find this podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. We hope you join us next time for more on Mental Healthy. Music for this podcast is licensed under Creative Commons by Excel Music Publishing at freemusicpublicdomain.com. Thank you.